Welcome to the Cultural Cultivators podcast by Balai Creative and Cultivate Labs, where we explore the diverse and dynamic worlds of Filipino-American culture. In each episode, we delve into various aspects of film culture and speak with athletes, leaders, artists, and creators who are shaping and pushing the boundaries of their respective fields. Follow us on all social media at Balai Creative or Cultivate Labs, both with a K. Serena Bolden is a professional women's footballer who represented the Philippines in their historic 2023 World Cup appearance and holds the distinction of scoring the country's first ever goal in World Cup play. A Bay Area native, Serena attended Milpitas High School and continued her athletic and academic career at Loyola Marymount University, where she was named part of the All-West Coast Conference First Team and NSCAA All-West Region in 2016. She's played professionally in Sweden, Japan, and in Australia as a midfielder for the Western City Wanderers. Since committing to represent the Philippines, Serena has played in 37 international matches and scored 22 goals. In addition to her success on the field, Serena is an advocate for gender equality in sports and mental health. In this conversation, Serena describes what it was like to be on the fields and feed off the support of the fans during the Philippines' first World Cup win. That was a home game. We were expecting, you know, all the Kiwis, you know, people from New Zealand to, you know, outnumber us uh, fan-wise and be supporting, but it didn't feel like that. Like, in that game, like, there are moments when the the fans were going back and forth, and you couldn't tell who was cheering for who because there were just as many Filipino supporters as there were Kiwis. Like, the Kiwis outnumbered us, but, like, it didn't feel like it at times. And even, like, when I was playing and, you know, you focused in, I've got, like, this, like, laser focus. But, like, I was, like, astounded when I could hear us chanting, Filipinas, just so loud in that stadium where I couldn't even, like, communicate with the girls on the field sometimes because it was just so, so, so loud, so... That's something that I will live with me for the rest of my life. And like, definitely not pressure, a privilege to be playing in front of that many people. And just like people that are truly like proud of like what we're doing and what we're representing. So it's just, that's really cool that we were able to do that. Ball into the box initially won by Katie Bowen, former North Carolina Tar Heel. Also in this conversation, Serena talks about how the pandemic lockdown gave her the space to explore her identity beyond school and soccer. Adjusting to becoming a role model given this new spotlight on her career and gives us insight on what it's like to be an American footballer abroad. You can find Serena on Instagram at Serena, S-A-R-I, N-A underscore Bolden. So Serena Bolden, thank you so much for coming into the studio. You're actually our third in-studio guest. Awesome. Nice. We also wanted to start this conversation first, like congratulating you on World Cup and also having a Serena Bolden day. Yeah, that's pretty surreal, the Serena Bolden day, so... 
shout out to San Francisco for um, making August 28th um, Serena Bolden Day. So still didn't even realize that's like a thing. So it's, it's really cool. That is so dope. And also throwing the first pitch, unfortunately, it was sold out. So my family and I couldn't make it, but we definitely watched on TV. There was room. I saw there was a bunch of seats available, I feel like. Oh, dang. Next time. We also start with this tradition on all of our episodes, sort of grounding us in the space and in conversation with our guests. And our first question is always, which ancestors or anyone who actually transitioned would you like to call into the space in the conversation today? I think for me, who I want to call on is basically all the Filipinas who kind of made what the Philippine Women's National Team is today. Still alive and a lot of the girls that started this whole thing 10, 15 years since the inception. Just kind of giving them a shout out, paying homage to them because without them, I, myself, all the girls that are part of this amazing journey, we wouldn't be where we are today. So just shout out to them and bring them into this conversation and thank you to them. I love giving recognition to those that come before us. So important. I know for those that are just new to soccer <laughs> and following the World Cup and also just your journey, can you just share with us how your journey into professional soccer was and how you actually got into the sport? try to give you the short version of that. I do get asked that question quite frequently, but just basically through my parents, specifically my dad, just kind of pushing me into sports. I did softball, basketball, track, gymnastics, even though that lasted just for a day, like, and eventually like soccer was like the main sport that I kind of just stuck with. In the U.S. journey, you kind of just go through school and then if you're able to go to college, you know, you'll be able to go to a D1. I went to a Division One university. And after that, I went and played professionally. And while I was in college, I found out, oh, there's a Philippine women's national team. Try it out. And I was able to make the team. And if you're a dual citizenship, if you're mixed, you kind of have to decide which country you want to represent. And for me, I think it came down to being able to make the most impact. And for me, I felt like I was going to be able to do that with the Philippine women's national team. So... Once I decided that, that's when I finally kind of got my first opportunity to debut in 2018, 2019. And then for about, if I can do math right, five-ish years. Yeah, <laughs> I've been five plus years on, on the national team representing the Philippines. So a little crash course on where I've started and where I'm at right now with my soccer career. And I also saw actually that you had relatives that played soccer. How was that growing up as a like soccer family? Yeah, there's, I think on my dad's side, one of my cousins, not too close with, but right now she's currently playing in the NWSL, which is the um, women's professional league out here. And so it's just, you know, a motivating factor. It's great to hear that my relatives are also pursuing their dreams and playing football and, you know, something to push me forward as well. Good friendly competition to push each other and stuff. Not too many of us playing soccer. I think my other relatives tried different sports and stuff, or maybe even just did like the arts, dancing, theater, and stuff like that. So we're all trying to kind of immerse ourselves in the extracurriculars and stuff. But for me, it was just soccer. And the family support's really strong there. Yeah. That's what I love to see. I saw your parents at the Giants Day, seeing them so proud of you. They are and will always be like a big part of my career and just me as a person. They actually got to go to the World Cup and watch those group stage games and they were there for the New Zealand win, uh, the big one. So that was really amazing. And um, 
definitely got emotional throughout that whole journey because it, it really started with them and another person, you know, people that I want to call in. And without them, I really would be nothing, and especially my soccer career, but because they're the ones that pushed me. Was it sort of like, I think about also like the Williams sisters and their dad. <laughs> yes, kind of like that. <laughs> my dad is definitely a big force in um, just training and kind of just sacrificing a lot, wanting a lot for me. I just remember as a kid, um, I have a brother as well, and he would kind of just drag me and my brother to do hill sprints at age like 12, 13. And, you know, other people are like, you're crazy, dude. What are you doing? And like, that was just kind of like the beginning of like, you know, hard work. And basically what I'm doing now as an adult. So I was doing that as a kid. So now that I'm doing it, I was like, well, I was doing hill sprints when I was 12. So this is nothing. So it's definitely instilled um, different type of character that's made me like tough to adversity to challenges because I've kind of gone through that and my dad's just kind of like you know helped me kind of challenge me in ways that like now when I'm faced with it I was like well I've already been through the hard stuff you know as a kid and preparing for all this um, I jumped to a lot of different club teams growing up right now I travel a lot I jump from different countries <laughs> instead of different Bay Area teams so it's kind of like a similar similar experience but it's all because of him, really. <laughs> That's amazing. I feel like along the lines of like Kobe Bryant and the Williams sisters, a lot of the through line for all of them was, and Tiger Woods starting at a really young age and having their parents not only support them, but prep them physically and mentally for the road to greatness. Yeah, absolutely. I think for my dad, personally, I think just, you know, one of the best. I think all parents do. They want the best for their kids. And there's ups, but you know, you have challenges with your parents and stuff like that. And I think for him, he really wanted this for me to go as far as I could with soccer. But there was a point where I was getting burned out. It was just soccer in school for a majority of my life. And for me, the break came when COVID hit. And I actually had time to be like, you know what, who is Serena without soccer? And what is she like? What are her hobbies? Because at that point, before that happened, I didn't really know who I was like as a person without soccer. So I finally got time to breathe, do things that I really didn't have time to do earlier, find out things that I like. I love to cook. I like to surf. Um, I like to just go on joy rides and stuff. But I didn't know those things before because all I knew was soccer in school. And that's just something that my dad was really pushing. So I think it was good that that happened and it helped me grow as a person and then to really then, oh, like, I like soccer. It's not just my dad pushing me because I finally kind of got back into soccer after I had that break. I put my degree to use and got a job and then figured out that whole realm of what that looked like. And then when COVID was starting to get better in 2021, there's an opportunity that happened kind of for to play professionally in Japan. And then by that point, I was like, okay, I'm starting to re-fall in love with the game. It's coming within me, not just my dad now pushing it for me. So it's give and take, you know, it's ups and downs with your parents and stuff, but it's everything really worked out and all kind of happened for a reason. Yes. <laughs> As a mother, so my son is one, right? I think there's that balance, right? You need to find ways to get them interested in things, whether that's arts or sports or whatever, but also like that's that balance of not being a tiger mom <laughs> and allowing them to also find out who they are within 
that craft or that realm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Where did you find time? Were you living here or? Yeah, I was in Barrie. I was living with my parents and just kind of like close to that two year little break when I was just here, you know, COVID couldn't do anything. And I was like, okay, well, well, I'm just going to take advantage of this break, just like rest. Like, I think I've been needing that for a long time. And then I was like, okay, well, I, I'm at home with my parents at the same time. I want to like make a little money, make sure I'm not too much of a burden, at least supporting myself financially a little bit. And, and there's no pressure. They always stress school and soccer, school and soccer. Like we will support you financially. Like work isn't a big deal to us. Cause we really want you to get your degree. We really want you to go far in soccer. So like, we'll support you on that end. So then when I finally wasn't doing soccer and I was living at home, I was like, okay, let me, let me go seek out a job. Let me try to see what this whole resume everyone is talking <laughs> about. And you know, that's a job in and of itself. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I definitely learned like those types of skills, but I think I also learned, I'm like, dang, like, I don't know if I'm fit for this. Like I, I've just been doing soccer for the long. I, I know what that realm looks yes. like, but the working force and the doing nine to that five, is yeah. just, uh, hats off, hats off to everyone in that realm. Cause it's just a lot. And I don't personally know if that's the life for me because I just been doing soccer. I know all the ins outs of soccer. So I think I learned like, okay, I think I want to stick to that, but that was a good learning and growing experience for me. Um, I worked for a startup company in Oakland, just started off as like a driver delivering certain things and then made my way up to being a manager and stuff. So like I did a little bit of it, got a little taste of it, but Again, it's, it had its ups, but definitely has downs. You were definitely destined for what you're doing I now. Get, yeah, yeah. But I think that helped me even more to appreciate soccer because I'm like, okay, I did a little bit of the nine to five. I didn't even get a whole taste of it, but I did it. And I think doing the soccer thing is what I'm meant to be doing. And I, I really do love this. And even on my hardest day in soccer, I'm like, that's nothing compared to a hard day in the nine to five. So like, I'm happy that I'm doing this soccer and I kind of chose this, but um. I'm glad I got that break. I'm glad I got to do it at home in the Bay Area. I just explore more of the Bay. I think I had only known just a small part of the Bay, but once I was at home figuring things out, I got to explore all of it and go to different parts like Oakland, San Leandro, San Francisco, Pacifica, you know, all of it, all of it. So it was really cool to experience all that. And it made me a better soccer player as well. And obviously a better person too. I like that growth mindset that you have as far as like, some people don't have the capacity to see life outside of the nine to five, but you seeing both sides, it's like the compare and contrast and also like really grounding into, oh, this is my passion. I think for a long time I was confused on what is my passion? Like, what am I meant to be doing? And when I was in college, I was just like, you know, when you, at the end of graduating or just the end of something, it's like, oh, I'm freaking about like, what's next? So I just didn't really know what direction that was going to be. I knew I wanted interested in playing professional soccer and pursuing that, but I just, you know, didn't really know what to do. So it just kind of learned from other people, other girls that I saw that were going on to the next stage and just learning and growing and just going off of what they are doing. So that's definitely like my mindset with a lot of things to be growing. It's not particularly about like winning all the time, but it is for me growing. If I'm growing, I think the wins will come you know, in soccer and in life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what snaps to that? I know you talk a lot about your World Cup journey on other interviews, but I kind of want to know what the level of preparation and dedication required to compete at such like a high level. 
I kind of touched upon it earlier, just like a lot of sacrifice, a lot of dedication. Growing up, I did miss out on a lot of things, you know, that typical high schoolers do, hanging out, going to the mall, theaters. Like, my dad just didn't really let me do a lot of those things, but that's just because, like, I think he had a bigger picture for me and that I didn't really know at the time, but, like, that prepared me. There's a lot of hours that go into preparing for a World Cup and just preparing as an athlete. Not only is it done on soccer field, on the field, outside of it, you have to prepare your body, your mind, eat right. You know, for me, I think mental health is a big thing. So like talking to my therapist, sports therapist, to, you know, get the whole well-roundedness is important for me. So um, when I was preparing for the World Cup, I was having therapy sessions at least once a week leading up to it just to get it all out and help because I think the mental part is just as important as the physical part of the sport, any sport really. So was preparing that aspect for the World Cup and there was just a lot of man hours that went into just three games, really. <laughs> we traveled to a bunch of countries to kind of get ready for um, which teams we would play. There's um, the South Americans, there's North America, there's Asia, there's Europe, Africa. So there's a bunch of potential countries we could have played. So our coach, coaching staff just got us ready for all of it, what might happen before they kind of pulled the people that we were going to play. So it's just a lot of football that we had to experience in a short amount of time. But sacrifice, I think that's the biggest thing. I just, I had a bigger picture for myself. I think I wanted to go far at a young age in soccer. So I just kind of knew I was going to have to put my head down, work hard. So later on, you know, I can be like, okay, I, I put the work in now. Now I can like, quote unquote, relax later on because I put all this hard work in and then now I'm reaping the benefits. Yeah, And I love how you talk about, you know, the physical conditions to be a international soccer player, but also mentioning that there are also mental conditions that you have to have as a professional athlete. You know, I don't think a lot of people understand that. They think it's all physical. But as athletes, you know, it's so important to have a mental capacity to do what you do and be dedicated and, like you said, sacrifice. So are there any current mental, emotional, or even, like, spiritual rituals that you do to prep yourself for games like that? Yeah, like, ritual. I just really try to be in the best mindset possible when I, like, just go into any game of just being a positive mental state. I am a very big mental person. I tend to overthink when I am stressed. Um, and when I'm in that type of realm, it doesn't always give me the best results. But when I am positive and I'm feeling good and I'm surrounded by good people and I'm mentally at a good place, I've noticed that I have good results, kind of. So my routine in a game would just be like to do things that I like. So I cook myself breakfast, listen to music, love music and just get myself in like in a peaceful environment where like I'm not doing too much. I'm not running, doing a bunch of errands on the day that we have a game. Just really just trying to relax, like even like minimal, like if there's a decision between stairs and an elevator, I'm taking the elevator, like really just keeping it like calm and chill, like because I'm about to put so much energy into like a 90 plus minute game or even just like a whole tournament. So I'll listen to kind of like mindful podcasts or even stuff on Spotify, um, music and stuff like that, that really would just keep me at peace. What's on the playlist? Uh, mindful meditation, ah, just stuff nice. like that, kind of like guided meditations and stuff. So even if it's just like 10 minutes of just like working on breath work and stuff and just following what they have for me, I'm really good at like 
instruction. So when people are guiding me, I'm, I'm better at that. When I'm by myself and I'm trying to do my own thing, my mind kind of runs. So it's easier for me to follow along with something like that. So try to do that like on game day and like dedicate time to just like get everything out and stuff. So that's kind of what I do. I don't really have like a set thing that I do every single game besides maybe like the odd, like I have to like brush my teeth like I like to feel clean and shower. Like that's kind of like a ritual, I guess, every game day and stuff. But other than that, I try try not to like be superstitious because like if it doesn't work out, then that like makes it worse for me because I'm like, oh my God, like I didn't do this thing. And maybe there's a day that it doesn't happen and I don't want to like rely on like this superstitious thing. So I try to have a ritual, but I try not to, if that makes sense. I do. Like don't wear that shirt or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My mom's that way. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Can you talk about the role of teamwork and collaboration in soccer, especially at the international level? I know you called in at the beginning of this, you know, all the women that came before and also folks on your team. But if you could talk about that collaboration. You know, team sports, so there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of different ways of thinking. And I think it definitely starts with having a good leader to so like our coach, his name is Alan Stadich. I think it starts that leader figure kind of pushing us in the direction, giving us principles. He did a great job of just kind of teaching us all the things that he's learned and kind of passing it on what he wants and expects for us and sets the standard. And once we kind of had that, we had like, you know, our captains, our other leaders that kind of were like, okay, this is the goal that we need to reach. Um, but even without the coaches, I think, this team is really unique because we really do like rely on each other when it does get hard because this team has been through a lot. I've been on this team when we barely were all matching. We didn't even have the same type of kits. The fields that we were playing on were harsh conditions. They weren't proper soccer fields. You know, we could barely get water. You had to bring your own water bottles and stuff, barely had trainers. So I think when you're in an environment like that, you really bond and come together and have to lean on each other because you don't have much. So I think that's really brought this team to what it is today because it's really, we've had to face adversity head on right from the beginning. So I think that's the unique thing about this team. When challenges do arise, it doesn't like shake us. If anything, we're like, okay, this is an adversity. This is a hurdle we have to get over. Like we can stay calm, but we know we can get through it. And I think a lot of the girls are, amazing with facing adversity and I would even consider the team kind of like family kind of feels like family like a return to family and if, you know Filipinos are big on the family aspect because we have a lot of girls from all over the world like that are playing professionally abroad or they're living somewhere else so whenever we're together it's definitely like hugs and like how you doing like what you've been up to like I know on other national teams or you're, you're a team but you're also competing against each other which is, there's a fine line of, you know, there's girls in your position that you're trying to quote unquote beat out. So you get the starting position or you get more playing time. That's the reality of the sport. But this team is so good about not having that type of toxic environment. I think we are here to compete and we are here to make each other better. But at the end of the day, we're all here to make each other better. And it's not about like, it is, you know, like who's starting over who, but like, I think we're all here for each other. 
And it really feels like a family when we're together. And hey, with family, there's the good times, like I said there, but there's, you know, the bad times. You're going to have your ups and downs. No family is perfect. You're going to fight. You're going to, you know, butt heads. And this team has definitely had instances like that, but we come out of it. I think that's the really unique thing about this team. And it's hard to explain, but I think that's why I've been a part of the team for so long and I want to continue to be a part of this team and keep pushing us forward because it does feel like a family. It does feel like we're all trying to make each other better and push each other forward. That's that growth mindset. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And then I know for especially this round of the World Cup, the fan base, right? Soccer is known for passionate fans. How did you handle that pressure and also the expectation that comes with representing the Philippines? It was really cool throughout this whole experience to see supporters of Filipino football to just come out and like physically be there, one, because we've been to so many different countries preparing for the World Cup. But the biggest thing that I learned, like Filipinos are, they're really everywhere. We were in like probably close to 10 plus countries leading up to the World Cup. And like there was always a little support group that was chanting, supporting us. I think there was only one country where they were, we just weren't there, which was like, okay, like was expecting that sooner. But there was just so many of us like in countries that I didn't even think there would be, there would be Filipinos. So that was amazing. But like that was, guess, kind of like the norm. Like, so it wasn't like a pressure thing, it was kind of like a privilege to be playing in front of Filipinos, supporters of us, and just like so heartwarming to be like, oh, there are people that really care and really love this team and want us to go so far and we are making people proud. So I I don't think we've ever felt pressure from all the support. And if anything, it was just like a, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. And I think we really felt that when we played New Zealand, that was a home game. We were expecting, you know, all the Kiwis you know, people from New Zealand to, you know, outnumber us uh, fan-wise and be supporting, but it didn't feel like that. Like, in that game, like, there are moments when the fans were going back and forth, and you couldn't tell who was cheering for who because there were just as many Filipino supporters as there were Kiwis. Like, the Kiwis outnumbered us, but, like, it didn't feel like it at times. And even, like, when I was playing and, you know, you focus in, I've got, like, this, like, laser focus, but, like, I could even, like, for me, I, sometimes my parents are like, oh, did you hear me say this? Like when I'm playing like smaller games that aren't thousands of people, like I usually am not able to hear anything and I'm just so focused. But like, I was like astounded when I could hear us chanting and like hearing them go, Filipinas, and just like, just so loud in that stadium where I couldn't even like communicate with the girls on the field sometimes because it was just so, so, so loud. So that's something that I will live with me for the rest of my life and like, Definitely not pressure, a privilege to be playing in front of that many people and just like people that are truly like proud of like what we're doing and what we're representing. So it was just, it was really cool that we were able to do that. And does that energy add to you think your ability on the field? Yeah, absolutely. I think we feed off of the fans energy and the supporters energy. So that when them supporting us was part of them, they were like the 12th man out there for us you know that got that win so it wasn't all just us it was definitely the fans and supporters that night against New Zealand it's so epic (laughs) (laughs) really really and that was an epic play a lot of things went right up to that and you know in soccer not everything goes your way but when it does it's a beautiful thing I know not a lot of people touch on this in listening to your other interviews but 
you are not just representing the Philippines, but you are also a proud queer half African-American Panay. So how has that identity colored your experience as a professional athlete and even a role model for others that might see themselves in you? It's a great question. You're probably the second person to ever ask me about like my other side, not just Filipino. I think it's still like new to me, super new to be in this role as a role model. I don't really consider myself that. And especially like my queer side, my African-American side, that's new. It's new that I'm in this position of people being like, oh, look at like there's someone who looks like me or like I connect with what she's representing. So I think I'm just really trying to be conscious of like the moves that I make. I hope that I'm, you know, being a good representative um, of what I'm doing. But like this attention that I'm getting is just like so, so fresh. Like it's like barely a month, like two months in maybe of like the attention that I'm that's been growing on on this team and on myself. So um, it's been a big identity for me. I've always been this person. I've always been queer. I've always been black. I've always been Filipino. But for like people to be like, wow, like there's someone doing these great things. I'm still not fully processing like the impact that I'm making, that of just like me doing what I'm doing on the stage that I'm doing it at and people are seeing it. I hope it inspires people. I know it is. And I hope more people who look like me and, you know, have my type of background immerse themselves into, you know, soccer and, you know, anything. It doesn't just be soccer, but like other spaces where they want to create things. I'm glad I'm kind of like, I don't know, pushed a boy, pushed a girl. Like, I don't know right now, but it's just, it's weird. It's weird being in this position because I don't really do well with attention. I feel like I'm more low key. I'm, I'm always cool with like being in the background and, you know, behind the scenes. Um, I think I'm always more comfortable in that situation. But like as a soccer player, like I know you kind of have to switch that mentality. Like I am at the forefront. I am in front of the cameras and stuff like that. So I do realize that I am making an, a big impact for the queer community, for the black community, for the Filipino community. So I just hope I'm doing my best. Well, you're doing great. <laughs> Let me just say, I mean, your whole journey has been inspiring and following you on social media and seeing all the great things that you're doing and also your interviews like you hold yourself very well and professional so I think it's just uh, you know um we're super appreciative of you coming to our art studio and being interviewed I see big things in your future so you are doing amazing thank you I think I do want to like immerse myself in more um more communities, queer communities, black communities, Filipino communities, and like support, support those aspects of my life. So like definitely moving forward, like, you know, working with, you know, brands, sponsorships, and even doing like community outreach, then something that I'm not even asking for in return. Like I want to put myself in those spaces and promote those things. Cause those, those aren't really important to me. They are who I am. So I think I'm just trying to navigate myself as best I can and be a good representative and just like, I don't know, just put more people that are like me on the map as well. It's not just about me. Like I want to share my, you know, accomplishments and all the things that I've got going on in my life. But I think I want to share it with people that are, you know, that represent me and what if they're doing good things in the world. So I want to highlight, like I said, I'm behind the scenes. If I can highlight other people, I will do that. And, you know, that can be like my contribution of, of that's kind of like how I see like promoting 
myself through other things that are doing great things in the world right now. Yeah, we talk a lot in this podcast and just in general here at Black Creative about kapwa and this whole idea of togetherness, but also seeing yourself and other people. So that is essentially the kapwa spirit. Yes, I love that. We're all about it here. Yeah, I'm about it too. <laughs> Oftentimes, Phil Ams and Diaspora don't feel Filipino enough. Myself included, I don't speak the language. I'm third generation. So, you know, a lot of people tell me I'm not Filipino enough. But what are your thoughts on this? You know, especially playing and representing for the Philippines. Definitely. I've gotten this question a lot, like individually as a team, um, even like our coach who isn't even Filipino has gotten, gotten this question. And it's hard because to a certain degree, people are entitled to that, like, oh, you're not Filipino enough. You're not from the Philippines. You weren't born and raised here. You don't speak the language. So, like, why are you, like, re representing this country? And so definitely a controversial one because I know there's different ways to answer it, you know. But, like, for me and what I've kind of just been saying is, like, we are. I am Filipino enough. And I don't think it necessarily matters if you were born and raised and you're speaking the language like it's how you represent how you carry yourself and for me like I chose I chose to choose my Filipino side uh, to represent the country the Philippines for soccer and I think it was a good decision because you know I've just been putting my heart and soul into all of this and by choosing that it was the best decision I could make because it helped me reconnect with this side of me that I don't know if I would have connected with it, you know, just staying in the U.S. I've gotten an opportunity to visit the Philippines on multiple occasions, get to see what people are like, get to hear the language in the home country, get to hear my teammates teach me different things. So all of these things I think have cultivated into like what I am today. And I kind of talked to you earlier, like I am kind of like having this identity crisis of like, what does it mean to be Filipino? And a lot of Filipinos in America are mixed, Phil Am. And there's a few people that do criticize us for that and myself, but I kind of don't let that get to me because like I still am playing soccer no matter what. I am still representing the country and I'm doing it for those people that are also criticizing us, whether they know it or not, I'm fighting for them, but I'm doing it even more for the people that have been supporting us. And still, they don't care if we're half, they know that we've sacrificed a lot we've put a lot of man hours into this sport into this country to put where we are now and those are the people that I'm really like representing so it's a hard question and you know you know wish you know wish that wasn't like something that we're being criticized for but it is what it is and I get that they, people have a right to that question they are entitled to you know say that about us but to me it doesn't really matter I'm still learning what it means to be Filipino, what it means to be Filipino, and at the end of the day, just doing our best to represent the country. Yeah, I mean, everyone's gonna have an opinion. I think growing up, even here in my college years, I felt so much shame not knowing the language. But it was also Ruby Ibarra talks about this for a lot of folks immigrating to America, especially in the '50s and '40s. We chose not to speak the language because it was protecting our families. <laughs> from racism <laughs> so I think people yeah sure you're entitled to your opinion but you also don't know the background of everyone 
and what makes people who they are today. And in my opinion, if you have the blood of your ancestors, you're freaking Filipino regardless of how connected you are to the language or the food or, you know, the culture in the Philippines. We are Filipino and it shouldn't even be a question about enough. It's that part uh, when you interviewed Ruby of like my own grandparents didn't pass on the language to my mom. And I, like you said, I think it was to protect their kids from racism because when you could hear a different, you know, an accent, you know, you're already going to be treated differently. So inadvertently for my family, um, my mom, the Filipino side, they didn't teach that because they wanted their kids to fit the American mold um, and assimilate as quick as possible. And I think um, we are really well, Filipinos do really well at assimilating and getting with the program very good. And that can be a positive, but it also can be a, a negative in a way. And I think who knows if my grandparents would have taught more. And this is just specifically my family, um, that Filipino culture, um, I could have been even more like immersed. I could have known Tagalog. And I think today people are looking for that. People are wanting, you know, to have people that, you know, are multilingual and like such a benefit today. And like, I, w I wish, I wish I could. And there's still time. There's still time for me to learn. And that's actually one of my goals to learn Tagalog. Because I think it still is really important to um, I think I'm just, I'm learning that culture is so, like, I really, of all culture, not just my own, but like, especially my own. I want to be a student. I want to learn more. And at this point in my life, I'm learning so much about what it means to be Filipino and being in the country and seeing it. Even though, yes, I'm getting criticism of like, maybe, oh, you don't speak Tagalog. Like, I kind of like that pressure. I'm a soccer player. I'm an athlete. So I'm used to pressure, but I kind of like that there's this and may not, everyone might not feel the same. I kind of like, you should learn the language. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I really should. I, I want to. I want to. And so like, I'm embracing it. I'm not saying they're right about it, but that's something that I'm like, okay, like I want to learn more, like so much. And just, and when you're in the country, when you're in the Philippines, like I, I, you feel that pride. And like, people have come up to me just after everything that we've done, and just be like, we're so, we're so proud of you. Like, and it's like, they don't even know me. Like, they, we have, that's the first time we're talking and stuff like that. So I don't know, like, I want to be even more better connected to the Philippines. But even if I didn't learn to go, like, like, I know I've done so much. I've dedicated my life to this team and I've represented, and I know I've done a good job already, but I want to continue to do that and connect with even more Filipinos that are in the Philippines. If I don't know if they started hearing me speak to Gaulic, maybe that's even another connection that like helps even more people like dream and inspired to be something so you know I always try to like think of the bigger picture and I'm always here for critiques I think it's yeah, the athlete in me and so how can I be better how can I better myself like that but it's that growth mindset y'all <laughs> that's like the whole theme of this episode <laughs> which I'm all for I also wanted to ask because you're originally from the Bay Area but your soccer journey is taking you all over the world playing for Sweden, Taiwan, Japan, and now living in Australia. So what's something people don't realize about being an American athlete playing overseas? Another great question. Uh, there are a lot of actually American women footballers that go and play abroad that many people maybe not, may not know um, just because it's very hard to play professionally in the U.S. So a lot of us are like, quote unquote, forced to go play abroad. But I think it just opens your eyes to like a different way of living, a different 
just a way of thinking, just to when you experience these different countries and the different people. It made me like more of a well-rounded person because, you know, I think America, we have a certain way of doing things here. And I think before I started traveling, if you don't know something, if you don't see it, like how are you supposed to learn outside of that? So I think for me, I was always intrigued on the idea of going and being in other countries and using soccer as a vehicle to do that is even more of like even better that I got to check that off my list. But it's just made me who I am today, like going to meet different people, to be in a situation where you're not in control. Like I moved to Japan and I didn't know how to speak Japanese. And most of the time I didn't know what was going on. I had to kind of guess what people were talking about. So to be in that type of element was really humbling because like, I feel like here in the States, I think for me it was a big control. I it used to be like, I need to be in control of everything. And when you go out and you live somewhere else that you don't really know what's going on, you don't know like the ins and outs because it's a foreign country, everything it's pretty foreign to you. Um, you're forced to kind of like let go of the control. So, and I think that was really good, really good for me because I kind of, got to see a different side of me. Um, I got to go through a different set of adversities that I hadn't really been introduced to when I was in the States. Just being a foreigner, it's humbling. It's a humbling experience that I think all Americans should get out of America and go and experience other countries because there's ways to do different things. And I think as an American, we think there's one way to do things or one thing to be, or there's only a certain type of aspiration that you need to have. But like, going to Japan, going to Australia, being in Sweden. I didn't get to go to Taiwan because that was in COVID. I know Wikipedia says that I was supposed to go play for a team in Chinese Taipei. Didn't work out, but I was supposed to go there. But traveling all these different places has really opened my mind to like, there is a different way to do things. And it's not just one way of thinking. There's many, there's many ways to, you know, the term is different ways to skin a cat. Like there's not just one way to do something. And I think... That was the really important for me to understand and go out and seek. I feel like the U.S. mindset of, you know, go to school, get an education, get the job, have the family, have the kids, and that's that. And a lot of other countries think like that as well, but, like, there's other countries that don't. Maybe there's other countries I've experienced that it just, you know, maybe work and school aren't everything. Maybe being happy as a person is a little bit more of a priority and um, the quality of life is a bit more important and we just we can relax it's all right we don't need to like like hustle. be school yeah like the hustle mentality yeah. i think that is such a thing here in america like like go 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 it's like oh my god like let's take a break i feel like in australia i noticed that the shops and the restaurants they all close around like 5 30 like 6 p.m latest wow and i'm like one i'm like oh my god why is everything closed so early <laughs> but i'm like Oh, like they actually care about their workers and their people here. Like Eat that's dinner. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like one day of the week, like Thursday, where like the shops will like stay open like nine and like that that's pushing it. Yeah. Like we're here. I'm like, things open at like nine, they'll close to like ten PM. Yeah. And like no, it's a small example, but it's like, wow, like there are other countries that are doing different things and they're thriving, they're you know, they're operating, they're a working society and they've been around for hundreds of years and they're doing things just fine. <laughs> yeah. So it's just really cool to like experience different ways of thinking and doing. I'm such a nerd about that of like, what are other cultures doing? And like, I don't know, like how can we apply some of that here in the US? But 
I know when we kind of bring outside ideas into this country, it's a bit, it's a bit like, mm, that's not American. Like, which I, you know, I, I get, I understand that. But I think if you want to learn more about yourself and know different things that you may not have, may not learn being in the U.S., go outside and travel. I highly recommend it because um, you'll just you'll learn more about yourself and you'll get to see what the world and what the other world provides. And if you can afford it, I know it, travel is a privilege. Not everyone can do that. But if you are able, you're capable, you have the finances, do it because you're not going to regret it. And even if you do have a bad time and it's the worst experience of your life, at least you learned. Uh-huh. At least you learned like, OK, I am comfortable just being in the U.S. Hey, you did it and I can't knock you for doing that. And be proud of that, too. Yeah, it took me uh, almost 40 years to travel. And that's so great. And when I finally did, it was like, holy, this is amazing. It's so different. I went to Shanghai and Beijing for the first time in 2018. And I was like, this is nothing what you see in the movies. This is so beautiful. (laughs) And huge, big, nice, shimmering buildings. And then when I went to Australia, oh, man, the quality of life there. Like... What I really appreciate about Australia and my friend who lives there now in Melbourne, she was like, once five o'clock hits, your boss is not emailing you. They are not contacting you. You're not like required to work on a weekend. Like everyone understands, okay, five o'clock, done. That like live work balance is like there. Mm. And people respect that. I think that's the difference. Mm. She was like, this is why I didn't move to America, because the hustle is so crazy. Like, yeah. work yourself to death for what? <laughs> to yeah. make someone else money? Yes, yes, yes. I totally agree. And, like, I'm still, it's still fresh. It's still new. Like, I've, like, in most of my adult life right now, I've been living abroad. So I've kind of, like, I still haven't immersed myself in, like, U.S. work culture. But, like, being school. When I was in university in Los Angeles, like even just getting a taste of that, it's just, it's a whole nother level. It's And there are positives to that. Like, of course. I think we're one of the most hardworking um, countries out there. We just, you know, we know what it means to work, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, you have to give credit for us there. But I think also having a balance is just as important. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of good qualities when it comes to focus and determination and good team cultural values. Like when I was in college, when the team, when we had our goals, we all worked towards that. And we knew that you couldn't, you know, mess around, you know, really, you know, take care of your body, make sure you're not going and partying the night before and stuff like that. I feel like, at least for like American soccer, like everyone for the most part, you know, is on that same page and knows how to sacrifice, knows how to work hard in those things. But, you know, sometimes that can risk you know, your happiness and just your mental well-being and a little bit of burnout because you are working so hard, so hard constantly in a day in and day out. So it was cool to experience a different way of doing something, a different way to approach soccer and how things looked. And even even in Japan, they're so focused on like the quality of every little detail. Whereas maybe like when it comes to like lifting weights, you're not like lifting a bunch but they're more about the quality of like doing it right correctly and the details of things. So it's just amazing that um, I got that opportunity and I can, I will continue to keep traveling, but yeah, I definitely advocate to go and travel. 
Yeah. So do I. A hundred percent. Save your money. For all the times you can buy a latte or go partying, save that money you were going to use for the extra Uber and stay in and put it in your bank account or invest it so you can yeah. at least in like six months in a year go to Australia. Yeah, no, little by <laughs> go little. Go to the Philippines. Go to Singapore is one of my favorite countries. Oh, I want to go there. I have not been there yet. Can you share any behind the scenes stories from your time at the World Cup that your fans might not be aware of? No, I mean, we were based in Auckland, New Zealand, and that was just another great country that I just have always heard great things, like just a beautiful country. The coffee there was amazing. I'm big on coffee everywhere we've been going. Katie and I, as we've been traveling like back in California and stuff, we're like, okay, we need to find good coffee. <laughs> um, and just being in New Zealand was just cool just to, again, to see what the environment was like, what the people are like, and just to meet other people too that are coming to watch the World Cup. It was cool to mingle with some of the people in our downtime, but... Is there much downtime? Yes and no. Like when we do have downtime, we're just kind of doing team yoga or team just like stretching or resting or when we aren't doing team related things girls are just doing things on their own they're going to grab a coffee they're going to go eat maybe they'll do a little bit of shopping but the biggest thing is just kind of staying off your legs and just resting as you can just because when you're in tournament mode like the days go by quick and the more you can rest and recover we would get masseuses that kind of came to our hotel that would kind of work on us and kind of just speed help to speed up the recovery process and stuff so that was good that, you know, our federation was, you know, taking care of us and making sure that, you know, that we got the proper recovery that we were getting and having masseuses come to the hotel, which is nice. And then when you do recovery, do you do crazy things like ice baths? Yeah, I wouldn't consider it crazy, but like, yeah, yeah. It's crazy for me. Yeah. I hate the cold. <laughs> I think more people are getting into like the ice. They call it ice plunge. Uh, like ice, ba- ice bath. It's, a, it's the same thing. I know yeah. someone that yeah has a bath in her garage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we do that. Been doing that. My dad, age 12, would be oh, doing really? that. Yeah, oh. ice baths and stuff like that. Like, But you can literally do it. If you have an ice bath, a tub, a tub, you just fill it up with ice. Honestly, that's probably the, a colder Colder than having like an actual setup proper mm-hmm. thing at times. That's the colder option. Just filling up with ten bags of ice and then cold water. But um, yeah, we do that. Um, if you're lucky enough, I don't know if our team got to do this, but there are like cryotherapy mm-hmm. chambers where you just kind of stand up and they pump in nitrogen. And like you're only there for like three minutes, and it's like an ice bath, but it's just a lot quicker, and I guess it's better for the body. But there's so many like different things that you could do to recover your body and stuff. But we did the best with what we had. Mm-hmm. I'm like note to self: <laughs> training my son, we can use the bathtub. Okay, looking ahead for your future goals, aspirations in soccer. Do you plan to continue making an impact on your sport? And like, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? Yeah, I definitely want to continue playing soccer. Just touched upon like what I think my passion is in life and like what I'm meant to be doing. And I think it's soccer. I think I've really come to that conclusion that my life is centered around it and I love it. And it really, at the end of the day, is something that I see myself doing for a very long time. So I do hope to, you know, join a new team and get right back into the swing of things, being on a professional team and playing for the national team, because we still have things even after the World Cup that are that's going on this year and even some of the going on past next year as well. So just kind of 
find a team, really, and that could be anywhere. As I said, I'm a traveler, so I don't mind going to another country, taking my partner with me uh, wherever we go. I know she's sacrificed a lot to be with me and be on this journey together, and I think it's really important to share it with someone that I love. And I've been on this journey for a long time, and I've done a majority of it by myself, but uh, I think it's also important to like have my loved one with me going and sharing this opportunity to travel and see different things and use soccer as that thing that like pushes me and able to like provide financially and so like we'll be doing things together but we don't know where it is we don't we'll end up really anywhere the options are endless but I think just making sure I'm on a team that like values what I have to offer and you know still like yes I've been doing this for a long time but I'm still new to a lot of these different things so just making sure like I'm fighting for like what I want and at the end of the day like I've been doing the soccer thing for a long time so I'm not necessarily doing it for the money the finances of it but like you know making sure I'm advocating for like what I think I deserve you know I've I've been to the world cup I've been on that world stage I have made an impact in just making it clear to people that um, I do bring a lot of value so just trying to learn how to negotiate speak up for what I want is something that I really Moving forward, I want to make sure that I prioritize and not just be like, yep, I'm just happy to play. But it's it's a fine line because women's soccer, we're growing. We're definitely going far. And it's a lot better than it was five, ten years ago. But it's still hard. It's still hard to find teams. And, like, when you find a team, it's kind of like, yep, I'll, I'll just do whatever you like instead of, like, you know, when you, when you find any job. Like, yeah. hey, this is what I think I'm worth. This is what I would like. And then can we meet on a compromise? So I think... It's hard because once you get the opportunity, it's just like, yeah, uh, yes, uh, whatever you'd like. Mm-hmm. So I think moving forward, I would like to advocate for myself a little bit more and just speak up for what I think I'm valued at. And then as far as the national team goes, I just want to keep pushing this team forward. And even when my time is done, I want it to be better than when it started, when I was a part of the team. So making sure that we communicate with our federation, that we need to continue to being supported financially obviously is the big one but um support from all angles you know from the fan basis people to continue to keep supporting us and just to keep growing the sport in the philippines for sure like to get more people to support it right now i think it's around like the third most popular sport in the country i think basketball and volleyball are two predominant ones in the philippines and soccer i think especially after that world cup starting to gain traction and stuff so um making sure that Football is is a priority in the Philippines and outside as well. It, it definitely is. It's a global sport. But making sure that we keep this team going up and upward trajectory is something that I want to keep pushing and make sure that, yes, we're going to have ups and downs, but I don't want it to go in a decline after all the hard work that we put into it. So I want this team to be sustainable. I want it to keep growing and finding different ways to keep uplifting it. So there's a lot of work to be done, even though we've done so much, we've made so much history, um, but I do really want to dedicate myself to that and do my best. And like I said, I'm 27, but I'm still learning so much and I, I feel so new to everything that's going on. I feel like a kid, a student. I always feel like that, but I just want to keep growing. That has been the theme of this whole podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of what I want to do professionally with my national team as I move forward. That's beautiful. 27 oh my gosh <laughs> I don't think I realized how young you are 
you have a lot of life left. <laughs> you're you're doing great. I'm just like as a woman in her forties, <laughs> I can say that. You do not look it. Well, thank you. People on the podcast are like, what does she look like? <laughs> okay, as a role model, I know this is all very new, but I know there are the young soccer players that look up to you now, especially in the Philippines. And here, the Panais and Panois, what advice would you give to young folks who dream of following your footsteps? It's going to take a lot of hard work and dedication, really. And knowing when you need a break. Don't go until, you know, you're completely burned out. You know, try not to push it to that point. I know I did, and I got close to where I was like, I don't even want to play soccer anymore. I've, I've lost my passion. This isn't fun anymore. So if you feel yourself starting to lose that passion or lose that love, maybe you need a break. It doesn't mean you have to quit soccer altogether, but like definitely breaks are okay. And I think with that American culture or that American mindset of like that hustle culture, we just go, 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 not realizing that a break is possible. So keep that in mind that breaks are very much possible and that's, on your terms, you have every right to be like, I need a break. And what other people say, maybe people are saying, oh, well, you're not working hard enough. Or like, why do you need a break? Well, it's for my own mental well-being and my longevity in whatever it is, not just soccer, or whatever goals you have. You need to take a break. I know when I took that break for about two, almost two years, I knew it was going to hurt. Like, <laughs> my body is not going to be the same way it was when I was training in college when I was younger. So yeah, it was hurt. It was hurting. It was, it took an uphill climb to get back where I was now. I need to relearn soccer again. So just realize when you take a break that you might need to work a little bit harder to get back what you are. But like, I don't think you'll regret it if you take that time for yourself. For me, that's just kind of was the formula to where I am today and surround yourself with like-minded people, I think with the final thing, a little piece of advice, other people that are working towards similar goals or, you know, also wanting to achieve this, you know, goal in soccer, you know, train with other people that are pushing you and making you better. There are people that are kind of negative and kind of weighing you down. Maybe limit your time with them. You don't have to cut them off completely. If you, if you want to, okay, that's fine. But if you notice that, then maybe distance yourself from that type of energy because, you know, you want to surround yourself with like-minded people and that will get you to where you're gonna go. I'm not saying use other people and take advantage of other people, but like surround yourself so that you can be at your best and you know share it with other people that you know are supporting you and want the best for you and also are gonna work hard and sacrifice as well. So uh, I know that was long-winded um, advice, but that's just kind of the things that I think have gotten me to where I'm at. I'm still working at the things that I'm kind of sharing as well, so. All really good points and all, super in alignment with greatness, I feel like. Uh, it's 100% true, putting yourself in those positive support systems. Like you said, not just like using people, but growing with people and having that community of folks that support you, that couple. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> Last question, what are you t currently geeking over right now? The one thing that Katie and I have been noticing, we just like coffee. We love coffee so much. But um, unfortunately, here in America, coffee is not that great. I was going to so, say, <laughs> do you have any favorites here in the Bay? At least? Um, well, yeah, we were just at um, 
Blue Lane. Oh. Blue Stone? Blue Lane uh, Cafe. I'm really butchering this. I'm really butchering this. But it's an Australian-owned cafe. Oh, my gosh, really? Blue Stone Blue Lane. Stone Blue Stone Lane, Lane yes. Cafe. It's a really good cafe, but, like, I'm just such a big coffee nut. So, like, any, like, good coffee, I really am, like... Have you tried Blue Bottle? Yes. Okay. Blue Bottle is another one okay. that meets the Australian standard. Yeah. <laughs> the Katie yeah, standard. Yes, basically. Basically, I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, mm, not good. <laughs> but, like, that's one thing I've been noticing when I've been back here. I'm like, wow, the coffee is so different compared to, like, being in Australia, where I feel like the coffee there is really, really, really good. So, guess that's something that I've been geeking about, but, like... Also, like I've been talking about, just travel. I think I'm a geek over travel and culture. Like when I learn different things and different sayings, like I just really am like, what does that mean? Like, okay, how do you pronounce it? Like I want to make sure I'm saying it the right way or like how you do a certain thing or how do you eat a certain thing? Like when is a good time to do something and not do something? Like I'm, I'm really like big on the cultural um, ins and outs of things and um even like Katie teaches me certain things about Australia and I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like why? And sometimes she's like, I don't know why. I just, just be doing it. So I just love, I love learning stuff about culture, travel and coffee. What are your uh, top three countries you want to visit that you haven't yet? I think I'd love to go visit Spain. You said Singapore. I'd love to go visit Singapore. I'm kind of just thinking about like all the soccer teams that did really well in the World Cup. So like all, all and not even the ones that did well, because obviously we got out very early, but like all those countries that like were part of that 32 that made it. I'd love to go visit every single one of those countries. But I don't know. I don't really have a top. I just want to go everywhere. Yeah. Really. Love it. England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I've been I've been there, but only for like a few days. But yeah, I'd love to go back and visit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming to our humble studio <laughs> setup here and also for being on our podcast. Thank you. This beautiful setup that you guys have. And I really appreciate you guys' time. And it was amazing speaking with you, kind of having like a therapy session in a way. It was, it was good. <laughs> I haven't had one in a while. I haven't like had a that. conversation like this. No, no, it's it's, it's very good. So I, I'm honored to be on your podcast. So thank you, Nicole. Serena's experience about not feeling Filipino enough, although centered around her role as a footballer representing the Philippines, I think carries universal lessons that can resonate with just about anyone navigating questions of identity and belonging within their own culture and community. I loved that we got to explore this concept of Filipinoness, acknowledging that, hey, many Filipinos in America are actually mixed race and mixed heritage and are sometimes three or four generations deep, like myself. So defining what it means to be Filipino enough can be really complex. And the notion that one must be born and raised in a specific country or speak its language fluently to represent it, I think is a common but limiting perspective. Serena challenges this notion by emphasizing the importance of how one carries themselves 
and their own commitment to representing a country. She also emphasizes that identity is not solely defined by birthplace and language proficiency, but by one's actions and dedication. Serena's personal journey serves as a testament to the transformative power of choosing to connect with one's heritage and her decision to embrace her Filipino side and represent the Philippines led to a profound reconnection with her roots. This reconnection might not have been as profound had she stayed in the U.S., also highlighting the importance of stepping outside our comfort zone. And her willingness to accept constructive criticism, I think, demonstrates her dedication to, once again, growth mindset and her commitment to continually improving herself. Ultimately, her story beautifully teaches us that identity is a fluid and ever-evolving concept shaped by personal choices, experiences, and the desire to connect with one's culture, heritage, and community. You can find Serena on Instagram at Serena underscore Bolden. Serena spelled S-A-R-I-N-A. Cultural Cultivators is hosted by me, Nicole Salomer. You can follow me on Instagram at Kindred Capois. This podcast is co-produced by John Reyes and Balai Creative, and it is a product of Cultivate Labs. Stay in touch at balaicreative.org.